Door of Hope Northeast. This is Cameron, and we are continuing on in our time in the letter of 2 John. Today, we get to hear from Alexander Mansour. If you don't know Alexander, uh, he and his wife Katie have been leading community groups for several years. Um, they've, they've both served the church in various ways. Alexander, at one point, was our uh, kind of coordinator, liaison with Refugee Care Collective at Door of Hope Southeast. Um, they are with us over here at Northeast now. And it is a privilege to get to hear him uh, share with us from the next section of Second John. So I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did. Hey, y'all. I'm Alexander Monsoor. Uh, my wife Katie and I have attended Door of Hope for six years now. And I'm blessed to have gotten to know many of you over the years. And I look forward to both seeing you again and meeting those of you I don't know yet when we're finally able to meet again. So we're going through 2 John together right now, one of the shortest books in the Bible. And in this letter, John is distilling some of his more consequential teachings into a short missive to a specific congregation. Uh, there's an address in this passage. John refers to this congregation as Dear Lady, uh, an affectionate address for a community with which he felt kinship. So Cameron asked me to cover 2 John 7 through 11, but I'm going to start reading in verse 4 for context. So I'm going to read 2 John verses 4 through 11, walking in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this love, that we walk according to his commandments, this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So this letter is consistent with John's teaching in 1 John. In fact, if you go back to 1 John chapter 2, you'll find very similar language. John begins by reiterating a simple truth, that Jesus came to earth and died for our sins so that he could be our advocate. And then he exhorts the church body to love others, a simple command, but one that we have to be reminded of time and time again. He then follows it up with the meat of the letter, that there are deceivers among us. And he uses really strong language to address false teachers. He, he calls them the Antichrist likely not in the same vein as a capital A Antichrist referred to in apocalyptic literature, but a serious charge nonetheless. So what were they teaching that John found so offensive? He refers to these same false teachers in 1 John 4.2. Folks who are ostensibly Christians, people who came out of the church, who preached that Jesus was a supernatural being, but did not acknowledge his humanity. He says they deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. So they're denying Jesus' experience as a human. 
And these false teachers are doing something that's antithetical to our current context. They're proclaiming that Jesus could only be a God because of his actions, with no room for broken humanity. They thought that he only pretended to be human, he faked not knowing the future, and so forth. This is the flip side of the more modern problem that we deal with, that C.S. Lewis looks at when he addresses misconceptions of Jesus' humanity in his well-known trilemma argument. There he's addressing those who think that Jesus was a good man, but not a deity. In that argument he states, I'm ready to accept Jesus was a great mortal teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. So it's funny to think that the flip side of this argument, that Jesus is too much of a God, is problematic in this time. But on reflection, it's an extreme example of what we're all capable of doing, emphasizing Jesus' deity to a degree that minimizes his humanity. We tend to lionize our heroes, so we play down their weaknesses. In this case, so much so, this congregation, the dear lady, was losing sight of what it meant that Jesus was human just like the rest of us. John recommends extreme measures when dealing with these false teachers, which shows how seriously he takes the issue. It's possible that he's recommending a denial of so much as a greeting in a hospitality-focused culture, or possibly just recommending that the congregation not allow these teachers the pulpit space to propagate their beliefs. But John emphasizes that losing sight of the central truth of Jesus' time on earth, his deity and his humanity, obscures the fullness of what he did for us and places us at risk of losing all we have worked for. Something that struck me as incredibly timely in this passage was John's emphasis on shared truth. What does it mean to have a shared truth? John asks the congregation to consider their core beliefs about Jesus and how that affects not only their actions, but the experience of knowing and walking with Christ. We live in a time that makes it easier than ever to choose our reality. If we don't like the news, we can find another source that will frame things in a way we find palatable. How we think and feel about current events is likely highly influenced by the news we choose to consume, the reality we choose to occupy. And now, as much as ever, we need to exercise sound judgment in rejecting false teaching and falsity in general and cling to a timeless truth that unites us with God and each other. The central truth that the church is losing sight of in John's time is what has him so worried and what he wants the church to come back to. When we lose sight of Jesus' humanity, we not only lose the meaningfulness of his incarnation and his ability to sacrifice himself by taking on our sins, we lose the comfort of knowing that in every moment of our relationship with God, we may go to him, knowing that he has gone before us, he understands our experience, and he is the helper that we need. As Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Trusting in the fully human, crucified and resurrected Christ gives us access to a God who knows us and our flaws intimately, but loves us deeply anyway. 
John ends the letter with final greetings. He says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. I kind of love the idea of final greetings, so I'm going to paraphrase my own. Though I podcast to you, I would rather not greet you through my MacBook. Instead, I hope to be with you in our building on Fremont and talk face mask to face mask again, that our joy may be complete. My prayer for myself and our body, our dear lady in John's parlance, is that we walk in love and discernment, leaning on our shared intimate knowledge of Christ as we serve each other and our city. Love you all.